And now we're delighted to have our preacher for these revival services. We thank the Lord for Reverend Junior Sorzano, minister at the London First Church of the Nazarene with his wife. Blessings on you, Pastor Junior, servant of the Lord. Amen. And my friend. Amen. We love you and appreciate you. Thank Amen. you, Pastor Nick. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Wow, Katian. I was thinking that's a hard act to follow. <laughs> but you see, it's all in the name of the Lord. It's all in the name of the Lord. Well, folks, this is Sunday. We, it is still Victory Day. It is still Resurrection Day. It's still the day that we are celebrating. It's still the day that the kingdom of God is expanding and growing like no other. This is the day the Lord has, been, has made, and we are blessed to be here tonight. Amen? There's no better place to be on a Sunday evening but in the house of the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. Well, I praise God this morning that we were blessed of God, and I know that God spoke to my heart. I trust he did to many, and we realized that God was among us, God was speaking to us, and we thank you for your obedience. We thank you that you were willing to allow God to reset your faith, to allow God to reset your life. But the truth is, you know, of all the things that is most difficult for God to reset in our lives is our plans, is our plans. And I want you to think about that. You see, it's one thing for God to reset my faith, but it's more challenging for God to reset my plans. So turn with me to the book of Proverbs this evening. Proverbs chapter 16. Proverbs chapter 16. Reading from verses 1 to 11. <coughs> Proverbs 16, verses 1 to 11. Let's stand together. The scripture declares, to man belongs the plans of the heart, but from the Lord comes the reply of the tongue. All a man's ways seem innocent to him, but motives are weighed by the Lord. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and your plans will succeed. The Lord works out everything for his own ends, even the wicked for a day of disaster. The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this. They will not go unpunished. Through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. Through the fear of the Lord, a man avoids evil. When a man's ways... Hallelujah, I love this verse. When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies live at peace with him. Hallelujah. For better a little while, a little with righteousness, than much gain with injustice. In his heart, a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. The lips of a king speak as an oracle, and his mouth should not betray justice. 
but on his scales and balances are from the Lord, and all the weights in the bag are of his making. Father, thank you for your written, spoken, and declared word. Bless your word to our hearts this evening. May we not just be hearers, Father, but, oh God, may we be obedient to hear from you and obey you in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. You may be seated. The story was told about a pastor from a storefront church. The pastor's church was called Almighty God Tabernacle. And on a Saturday night, several weeks passed, this pastor was working late and decided to call his wife before he left for home. It was about 10 p.m., but his wife didn't answer the phone. The pastor let it ring many times. He thought it was odd that she didn't answer. But he decided to wrap up a few things and try again in a few minutes. When he tried again, she answered right away. He asked her why she hadn't answered before. And she said that it hadn't rung at their house. Well, they brushed it off as a fluke and went on their merry ways. The following Monday, the pastor received a call at the church office, which was the phone that he used that Saturday night to call his wife. The man that he spoke with wanted to know why the pastor had called on Saturday night. The pastor couldn't figure out what the guy was talking about. Then the guy said, it rang and rang, but I didn't answer. The pastor then recalled the mishap and apologized for disturbing the man, explaining that he intended to call his wife. The man said, well, that's okay. Let me tell you my story. You see, I was planning to commit suicide on that Saturday night. But before I did, I prayed, God, if you are there, and if you truly exist, and if you don't want me to do this, give me a sign right now. The man said, Pastor, at that point, my phone started to ring, and I looked at the caller ID, and it said, Almighty God. I was too afraid to answer. <laughs> What are your plans tonight? What plans do you have in your life? Do you recognize that God, who is sovereign God, the Lord of all, has a plan and purpose for all our lives? And we believe that as believers. Those of us who have been walking with God time after time have come to that place. And as I said this morning, when we come to the reality that God desires radical faith, 
God desires to truly reset our lives, that we will experience him. We begin to understand, hey, we are not alone in this business. We understand that the living God said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The living God says, wait a minute, I have a plan for your life. Plans not to harm you, but plans to prosper you. Plans to give you hope and a future. That's the plans of God. But yet sometimes as Christians, we allow the devil to steal our joy, to steal our hope, to steal the victory that we celebrate. And we need to come to that point of recognizing that God wants to truly reset our plans. Among the great number of books authored by C.S. Lewis is the highly provocative what we know as the screw tape letters. In it, the profound Englishman had the devil brief his nephew, Wormwood, on the subtleties and techniques of tempting mankind. The goal, he counsels, is not wickedness, but indifference. Not wickedness, not sinfulness, but indifference. Satan cautions his nephew to keep the prospect, the patient, comfortable at all costs. If he should become concerned about anything of importance, Satan says, encourage him to think about his luncheon plans, not to worry, because it could induce indigestion. And then this definite job description was given. I the devil, will always see to it that they are bad people. Your job, my dear Wormwood, is to provide me with the people who do not care, the people who are indifferent, the people who love the status quo, the people who do not believe in the supernatural, the people who do not understand that God is real. And I believe tonight, my friends, that we are caught up at a particular stage in our national ethos in which we are not only materialistic, but worse than that, we are becoming emotionally dead as people. And Tony Campolo went on to say, as dead people, we don't sing, we don't dance as we should for the Lord, we don't even commit sin anymore with great enthusiasm. And Kierkegaard, the philosopher, once said, this age will die, not from sin, but from a lack of passion. There is a deadness everywhere. High schools are apathetic. They're totally at a place where there seems to be no love or value. Colleges are the same. I mean, everybody has gone to sleep. And the question when I read this that came to my heart and mind, is the church going asleep? Have we gone to sleep? Are we settling for that which is not the best? Are we settling for the status quo? Are we at a place in our lives that God cannot come? and change our plans. 
The writer in the book of Proverbs reminds us, to a man belongs the plans of the heart, but from the Lord comes the reply of the tongue. You see, my friends, I do believe in this day and age that we are living, yes, as many would say, seemingly in the last days. I do believe that you and I have to realize that God is seeking to reset our plans. And I don't know about you, but I am saying to God, okay, God, just as I said this morning, I want you to do a new thing in my life. I want you to change me up. I want you to shake me up. I want you to wake me up. I want you, oh God, to demonstrate that you are God through my life. And I don't know about you. I am not going to settle for that which seems just as normal or acceptable. But I am willing to say, God, I want you to come and do what you need to do. Amen. You see, many of us may be willing to allow God to reset our fate. But resetting our plans is a different matter. It is. You see, of all the difficult things God asks us to surrender, I believe our plans are at the top of the list. I had a friend and brother in our church, he used to be our church board chair, who passed away. You know this past year. And he was the one who amazed me with how he learned how to trust God. When I first met this man and led him to the Lord, and he came to know Christ, he was a man who lived out in the world, you know, and he would tell me his stories. He was a man who was very highly paid. When I met him at that time, he was working for $200 an hour. He was a management consultant. He would leave London and travel to Toronto and didn't care to stay in a hotel all week because they paid for the, all the bills and everything like that. And of course, the economy crashed and things began to go down and he had to readjust his life. But then he came to know Jesus. He came and encountered Jesus. And I remember God, just like Atian, a gift of music. His gift was not singing like yours, but he could write music. He would write great sounds. And he was the one that coined a song that said, we need to let go and let God. We need to let go and let God. And when he said that, I said, okay, Steve, that's great. How are you living it out? He demonstrated that. He would lose his job, live on his credit card. And he would say, well, I have a $50,000 limit on my credit card. And he went anything in the church to give, he's the first to give. He's not working. He's the first that had a generous heart. He was the kind of person, he would take his shirt off his back and give it away. He was like that. And I would say, Steve, so how are you doing? What's happening? He said, well, I'm still trying to get jobs, but I'm just letting go and letting God. And I said, well, okay, cool. I agree with you. I love that. You know, that's a man of faith. You have real faith in God. And you know what was amazing to me? And this isn't once or twice, my friends, in that journey. He would come to me and say, well, my limit is just about 48,000. I've used up. But don't worry. God has it in control. God has a plan. I am letting go and letting God. And my friends, without fail, 
God will kick in a contract just before that final minute. Amen. You know? As you rightly said, God is never late. I mean, he's never early, but he's always on time. Amen. Always on time. Hallelujah. And you see, you and I need to understand this this evening. For in order for Jesus to reset our plans, we have to be willing to go all in with God. Amen. Hear me? You are, have to be willing to go all in with God. Amen. You see, some of us go all in our understanding, in our equation. But the question is, is that God's equation? You all know the story of Job. Job was a man who was honored and respected. Job was one who the Bible tells us that he was the righteous man, you know. There was none like my servant Job. Wow. Isn't that awesome if God could say that about you and I? You know. None like my servant Job. And Satan comes and seeks to afflict Job. And we know the story. Job's closest ally, his wife, said, Job, why you don't curse God and die? With all this suffering, with all this turmoil, with all this loss, what sense it makes. Job's other dear friends comes to Job and said, maybe God made a mistake because you probably are not a righteous man. Because what is going on in your life is happening because maybe you have sinned. And they sought to bring up one reason after other before Job. But yet the Bible tells us that in all of this, yes, Job was afflicted, but we have some of the greatest words in scriptures from Job. Though he slays me, yet shall I praise him. Amen. Do you have that kind of faith? Do you understand that kind of relationship with your God? You see, Job knew that. And George demonstrated his humanity. Because even then, as he looked at his life, and you will read in Job 35 through 38, where God comes now and answers Job. And that's what the writer says here. To man belongs the plans of the heart, but from the Lord comes the reply. And God replies to Job. Job had to learn, indeed, that he couldn't be God. There are some people who feel that they are God. There are some people who like to play God. <laughs> there are people like that in our lives, in our world. But yet, you know, God is God. And Job thought he knew what was best. And God had to rebuke him. He was rebuked by God in one sense. You see, like Job, Many of us tend to think we know what's best. And so we plan, we plan, we plan. We work, we work, we work. We plan to live. We plan to achieve. We plan and we make efforts. Some people's plans result in great debt. Some result in great stress. But God says, I have a better plan. And if you are interested, you can trust me because wait, I, God, created this world. I, God, know you 
For I, God, formed you when you're in your mother's womb. I have a plan. And I have done some pretty cool things in the past. And I am committed to doing some cool stuff again. Do you believe that? You see, my friends, I believe that you and I need at times to review the evidence that is always before us. We need to review the stories of God's power and glory in our lives. Think back across the years and experiences in which God has proven to be faithful to you. How has God shown up in unexpected ways in your life? Can you think about that? Can you realize, my friends, that God is so real? Some people forget that. They think it's chance or coincidence. But when you begin to understand the journey of faith and the journey of life, you begin to realize, hey, God is real. God is alive. And as I said this morning, you don't have to defend God. All you could do is proclaim him. All you can do is testify about God's goodness. That you can say, yes, surely the Lord is good. He is good. He is good. Oh, he is good. Because he has a plan. And you and I need to take time sometimes to reflect. You and I need to remember how he answered prayer miraculously in people's lives or in your own life. You see, sometimes the devil will want us to become indifferent. And a lot of Christians may not realize they are. That's the sad thing about it. A lot of us sometimes may not realize how Satan's plan that he shared with Wormwood is coming true. People are becoming more and more indifferent in the church today. People are allowing their, their principles to be watered down. It's an age and spirit of compromise. And when you look at life today and you look at the church, sometimes we wonder, where is God? Where is God? You know, it's like the story of two boys who were always doing mischief. You name it, if anything was happening, they were always in the midst. And one day a new preacher came to the town and his name was Pastor Nick. Because he had a booming voice. A booming voice. And someone told the mother, if you want to help your boys and get them straight, you send him to that new pastor. Yes. <laughs> and so the mother decided she would. She called the pastor, made an appointment, and he said, okay, send me the youngest one first. So the young lad went into the Pastor Nick's office, and Pastor Nick in front of that big desk, and he said, have a seat. The kid sat there, and he was just looking at him, looking at him. And then out of the blues, he says, where is God? The boy just looked quiet and didn't say a word. Again, he raised his voice as only passed, and he could, where is God? <laughs> and then the third time, he shouted, where is God? Well, the kid jumped out of that office, ran straight home. He ran into his room, passed his brother, and went into the closet. And the other brother said, hey, dude, dude, what's wrong? What happened? What's wrong? What's wrong? He said, man, we're in big trouble. God is missing, and they think we had something to do with it. <laughs> you know?
I pray God is not missing among us tonight. <laughs> I pray that we know where God is. You see, my friends, we need to be willing to go all in with God. Amen. We need to be willing to say, okay, God, I know that you're doing some pretty cool stuff. And I know, God, that it is time for you to show up once again. I am willing, God, to surrender my life. I am willing to surrender my plans. I am willing, God, to see that which something just amazes me. You see, our first loyalty in life should be to Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Because we understand he is the way, the truth, and the life. We understand that he is the one who said, I have come that you may have life. And we prize Jesus as the planner even more than our plans. We prize him as the one who is able to do more than we can ask, think, or imagine according to what? His power that is within us. You need to understand that verse. There are too many powerless Christians there are too many Christians who are living, living defeated lives. You see, my friends, victorious living is not because, oh, I have no pain, or I don't have no sickness, or I have all the money in the bank, or I drive a beautiful car or a good house. No. Victorious living, my friends, is when the storms of life start raging in your life, you have a smile. When the things are going bad that others may think is bad, you can say, hey, I don't worry because my God is in control. My God is in control. That's what it is. But sometimes as Christians, we forget that. There are a lot of Christians who complain and complain. You know, Pastor Nick, you and I know it. As pastors, yeah, we say we have to have flak jackets. You know? And all the other pastors who are here, the young ones too, hey, bros, don't worry. These days, you need a thicker insulation. <laughs> you know? Because that's what we see. But yet God comes, and I believe he still wants to come and shake us up. He wants to come and change our plans. Reset our plans. Reset our lives. And as we think about revival through this week, as I said this morning, I didn't bring revival, you didn't bring revival. God is who comes and gives revival. The question is, are you ready for God to do revival? You see, I've always learned in my journey of life so far that God, because of free will, we always say it in our theology, is not going to come in if I don't let him in. God is not going to change my plans unless I'm willing to say, okay, Jesus, reset my plans. You see, that's the reality of it. It was Jim Elliott, who was a missionary that was martyred, back in South America, who quoted these words. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. So how can we expect a radical change from God if we are not willing to live radically changed lives? Let me repeat that. How can we expect a radical change from God if we are not willing to live radically changed lives? 
That's the question. And sometimes, you know, as we go along, we need to understand this. I realize that God is a God of passion. God is a God who is radical. And I'm not going to settle my friends to drive a Ford when I paid for a Cadillac. I never forgot when I went first, left Trinidad and came up to Chicago to Olivet Nazarene University. I met a professor. I remember his name to this day. Professor Hendricks. Never forgot him. He was an old military guy as well. But he was one of our theology professors. And he seemingly, I thought, had a problem. As if he couldn't understand how ethnic people could come and achieve so much in some ways. And you know, there are times he seemed to give us a hard time as international students. And I remember one day going in his office, and I had it out. At that time, I was working on my master's. So, you know, I was more mature. I'd been in ministry for a little period of time already. And I sat there and I said, what's your problem? You know? I literally said that. He said, well, sometimes I can't understand. There's a difference in the way you, you guys speak and in the way you write. I said, what do you mean by that? He said, well, I always wondered if somebody else was writing your work. <laughs> and I smiled. I said, oh, you mean me? And he said, no, no, no. I, I mean, generally all international students because English wasn't their first language. But yet they would produce such amazing papers. Amen. You know? I know what he said. I said, well, nothing is wrong. You need to realize what we do. We work hard. Amen. You need to realize that some of us have made great sacrifice. Right. And there are those of us who are diligent enough not to play. You know? Not to just throw away our education. And he was the one who said to me, oh, so you mean there are those here in North America who pay for that Cadillac and they drive the Ford? I said, yes. Because he knew I love cars. And that's what I came up to. And I said, and now I tell him, don't worry, there are those of us who will not buy sometimes a North American car because we want to buy a Japanese car. <laughs> you know? Because we believe it's a better car. You know? But in life, my friends, some of us are allowing Satan to keep us in a comfortable zone. Some of us don't want to be in an uncomfortable seat. Some of us don't want God to come and reset our plans. But I am saying tonight that we need to understand that when we commit to the Lord, whatever we do, our plans will succeed, as the scripture tells us. And I believe that with all my heart. I believe, as I say to people, that we have to seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness, and then everything else will be added in our lives. I say that. I could testify of that. If you know my journey and where I came from, I could tell you God is an amazing God. And I've seen how God has interrupted my plans. And I am thankful for that today. I had plans for us to be a pilot. You know, some of you know that. You know, growing up in Trinidad, in a poor family, I looked for what kind of job could I do that could be more prestigious and bring me the money. <laughs> that I could say, show me the money. You know? 
So I decided I wanted to be a pilot. That was my plan. And it was going well. My mother had a connection in Trinidad. When you have strings, you get places. You know? That's how it works. And all of a sudden, I found out that my mother's cousin was the secretary to the principal of the Aviation Training Institute, Cathy Caribbean Avian Aviation Training Institute. I said, wow, hey, mommy, get on the phone. You need to make a call. She did. I got an interview. I just finished my GCEs, and I was waiting even for my results. But I got an interview, and I got in there. And I met the principal, and I said, yes, I want to be a pilot. I think I can do it. I just did eight subjects. He said, have you got the results? I said, you don't have to worry. I'm getting them. <laughs> you know? <laughs> That's what I said. He said, OK. How old you are? I said, well, I'll be 18 soon. He said, well, you know, to get into this school, you have to be 19. I said, no problem. I can wait a year. <laughs> you know, I'll go do something else in the meantime. He said, all right. I love your enthusiasm. I love your confidence. I'll tell you what. My secretary tells me, you know, you're a good young man. You just call me back when you get those results, and I'll let that be the test. And I got my results. I was happy. I got my subjects. You know, I did my maths, my phys, my chem, geography, English, even had Spanish on my resume. You know, <laughs> I had it covered. God had it covered, I thought. At that time, it wasn't God. I was thinking of me. I was in control. But then God came into my life. I came to that place where I accepted Jesus as the Lord and Savior. God had to turn me around. And I accepted the Lord and my life began to change. And I was there and then got involved by the college, the Bible college, Caribbean Nazarene, you know, college now it's called, CNC in Trinidad now. It used to be CNTC in my days, Caribbean Nazarene Theological College. And I started playing sports there, cricket and all of that. And all of a sudden, a tugging started. A tugging started to take place in my life. And I'm thinking, no, 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 that's not for me. I was involved in the church. A missionary by the name of Harold Harris comes up to me and one Wednesday evening when I led Bible study and he said, hey, God has a plan for your life. I said, yes, he has. I'm going to be a pilot. <laughs> yeah. He said, no, God has a plan for you. And we go along again, then I was asked to preach, and he comes up and says, you could be the next Billy Graham, a Trinidadian Billy Graham. <laughs> That's what he said to me. I said, I, I, I'm so happy, Brother Harris. I know you love it all. But the conviction started to come. I tried to go to the college and take a course to ease that. By that time, God opened the door. I got a job. I was teaching maths and science in school, in junior high school. And I would take, find myself literally wanting to preach to the kids. Other teachers would come and say, hey, Junior, you have a free period? You could talk to my kids about your Jesus. <laughs> because if you know me, I'm not afraid to talk about Jesus. Even back then, I started. But I kept saying, no, 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 I am going to be a pilot. It's only three more months, and I'm going to be at the age. And the school is going to be calling. But God started to call. And it was at a graduation service where God really hmm, upsetted my plans. The conviction was there. We sat in that place, no air condition, 33 degrees Celsius. And all of a sudden, I am getting cold. 
The guy next to me who wasn't a Christian, he was just there for the graduation ceremony. One of his friends was graduating. He said, hey, what's wrong with you? You seem to be trembling. Because I'm hearing the speaker saying, hey, you, you down there, God is calling you. You need to allow God to change your plans. But not me. Hey, God, you're not listening. I want to be a pilot. It's spelled P-I-L-O-T, not P-R-E-A-C-H-E-R. But God still says, no. And that conviction took me so great that the guy, when he said, he said, boy, what's wrong? And I said, it's something between me and God. And the guy was not Christian. I never forgot it was. He said, well, brother, you better go and make sure it's right or you're in big trouble, you know? I got up and walked outside. And that's when I said, okay, God, I can't fight against you. I can't no longer. And of course, I went to that missionary and I said, I'm ready. He was the director of admissions. And I said, okay, I will accept. I want to come to school. I go to my mother and I said, well, you know, I'm going to decide to go to Bible college. And she said, what? How are you going to pay for it? I said, I don't know, but God is calling me. I'll probably keep my job. And at that time, we had a junior secondary system where you had morning shift and evening shift. You know? So you could go to start from 7.15 to 12 and 12.15 to 5. That's how they had it. And I decided, well, I'm going to work it out. I'll work, I'll do classes in the morning, and then I will still continue my job in the evening. I went to the vice principal and I said, I may be coming in late. Do not schedule me for any first period. Please understand this. And he was a Christian man and he agreed. So I was cool. I thought, God is setting it up okay. But a week of orientation, I was playing volleyball and sports and we were running up to the dorm. I was living on campus and I forgot about a drain and I was jumping over and I fractured my leg. And I realized, wow, I got up there. I didn't even think it was such a problem, just stiff. But that night, my legs swelled up. The next morning, they had to take me off the bunk. And I couldn't continue working. And God spoke to my heart again and said, are you all in? Are you all in? Are you willing to trust me? And I knew what God was saying. I decided to resign my job. But you know what was even more? And this is how the devil will work in our lives, people. All of a sudden, a phone call comes. Yes. <laughs> and my mother calls me up and says, they're calling for you. And, you know, you need to go in to sign the papers and so on. And I said, but mom, you know, I've decided, you know, to become a pastor and I've changed. She said, well, it's your decision. I'll have to tell them. But you, no, she didn't say, I'll have to tell them. She said, you have to tell them. So I called up and I said, I'm sorry. You know, I have changed my plans. More or less, God has changed my plans. My life has been changed. And, you know, I've decided to forego that. And she said, you know what you're giving up? Do you understand the opportunity you are giving up? This school only takes 100 students throughout the whole Caribbean. We get nearly 1,000 applications. And you have it made. And that is when God put this phrase in my mind. Well, you know, 
I could fly people around the world, but God is calling me to fly people to heaven. You know? That's what I told you. And I can say, my friends, now 35 years and more later, I have no regrets. Because I thank God today that when God, when you commit your ways to the Lord, your plans will succeed. And we need to remember that. You see, as I said this morning, we have to thrive in a faith-fueled life. We need to say, yes, Lord. I don't want to be a lackluster Christian. I want to be a Christian who is real, who is experiencing your presence. And as the saying goes, you see, I realize if I give God first place in my life, then I will be first in God's plans and in God's eyes. And you and I need to re realize that. You see, if you keep doing what you have always done, you're going to keep getting what you have always gotten. You hear what I just said? Think about it. If you keep doing what you have always done, you are going to keep getting what you have always gotten. What plans are you holding on to that you think you might just die if they were to be changed? Let me ask you, which is more important, the planner or the plans? The planner or the plans? You see, one of the things as we allow God to reset our plans, we, it renews the awe. It renews the awe. And we ask God to renew our amazement over who he is and what he has done. And to do that, you and I need to be willing to say yes, Lord, yes. Amen. To your will and to your way. To do that, we have to refocus on obedience. We have to refocus on what it means to, uh, uh, to allow God to work in our life, to allow God to give us the strength and self-discipline to act on any command Amen. that he gives us in his word. We have to reaffirm our trust in God. Yeah. Yes, review the evidence. Some of us have forgotten who God is, like the children of Israel. That's why the Bible calls them a stiff-necked people. They forgot God brought them out of Egypt. They forgot God provided manna in the desert. They forgot that God was real. And so many times they went back to their own ways and their own thinking and their own plans. And that's why so many of them perished in the wilderness. And I want you to know tonight that God wants you and I to live. He doesn't want us to perish. But you and I have to be willing to say, okay, God, Am I going to be obedient to you? Am I willing to hear your voice? Am I willing, God, to truly obey? Amen. You know, I mentioned about Noah this morning that he might have looked like a radical man. He would have looked like a crazy man. But what we see in Noah's life, that in a dark world, because as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man, right? But in a dark world, Noah heard God's voice. In a dark world, Noah was obedient to God. Amen. 
in a dark world. Noah stood out like diamond velvet on a diamond on velvet. Because he was obedient to God. Are you willing to be obedient to God tonight? Can God interrupt your life right now? Can God do something beyond your imagination? Whatever situation you are in, whatever circumstances, when last did God show up in your life in a supernatural way? You see, faith redefines safety to be the moments of God dependence rather than the moments that don't require God at all. And I don't know about you, just like Habakkuk cried out, that in the face of injustice, he said, God said, for I am going to do something new in your days that you will not believe. Think about it. That you will not believe even if you were told. Are you willing to allow God to divinely interrupt your life? I hope you are tonight. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back. And we're going to sing that song. I would say yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way. And we're going to come and ask God to interrupt our lives tonight. I am willing to say yes, Lord, yes. I am willing to say yes, God, reset my plans. Sometimes we think about plans. We make plans. But then we go to God and tell God what we want. But you and I have to learn to seek first the kingdom of God. You and I have to learn to let Jesus be the one who is doing our mighty work. And as I realize, and I say this even in London, I have recognized today that it seems that as believers, we have lost that sense of awe, that sense of wonder, that sense of the miraculous, the supernatural, that sense of realizing that is what distinguishes us. Father God, hallelujah. Hallelujah. We bless your name, Father God. We thank you, O oh God, that you are an amazing God. Whoa. Hallelujah. There's none like unto you, Lord. And Father God, as we bow before you in this church today, we thank you for your children, for your saints, for your believers. We thank you for those who may be struggling in their faith, those who need Jesus in their lives, those who are saying, okay, God, I need a reset in my life. I need to re-experience and re-encounter, oh God, such a transformation in my life that, Lord, I'm willing to say yes, Lord, yes. I am willing to surrender all. I am willing to give you all. I am willing, oh God, to believe that you are able to do more than I can ask or think or imagine. I am willing, Lord, to allow your presence to flow in my hearts and lives. Oh God, girl, take my life. Take my all. Take my situation, Lord. Oh God, transform. Change, Lord. You are the God who is at work here, Father. You are the God who is doing great and mighty things. So, Lord, come among us. Spirit of the living God, 
fall fresh upon us tonight. Oh God, this is not about emotion. This is not, oh God, about a scene. This is knowing that God is in our midst and he's here to bless. He's here to deliver. He's here to do more than we can think. He's here to be real in my life. He's here to transform my heart. He's here to take my life and bless it in a mighty way. So Father, thank you. Thank you for all who are standing here before you tonight. Thank you for all. You know their lives. You know their hearts. Bless them, I pray. Let your will be done in their lives, Father. Let them, oh God, realize and experience true obedience in you, God. Father, we just pray that indeed you will just reaffirm that confidence in you tonight. And we thank you, Lord. Father, we know that you who have begun a good work in us is faithful to complete it. And throughout this sanctuary here tonight, oh God, whether it be those who in their hearts are saying, yes, Lord, yes, but couldn't walk forward, may you minister, may you speak. Oh, Father God, we surrender all to you. We surrender all to you. Father God, take this week. Take the following days, Lord. Oh God, we know you're going to be doing something great here in Rosewood this week. And Lord, we don't want to be selfish. We want others to come on in. Amen. We want people to come in Amen. and know that in these days, Amen. Amen. oh God, that you are alive. Yes, Lord. And that you are well. And you are doing a mighty work. Amen. So Spirit of the living God, be glorified. Praise God. Be glorified. Yes. Be glorified. Oh God, we surrender to you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. We are saying yes. Lord, yes. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah.